When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. We are anxiously awaiting President Biden's first joint address to Congress, which begins in just a few hours. And joining me to break it all down and give us a sneak peek, Bloomberg political contributor Rick Davis and Matt Bennett of Third Way. Plus, we're going to check in with Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, who's going to be in the room. And as we all await the president's first joint address to Congress, we are really lucky to be joined on the panel by someone who has scored a ticket to the hottest really what's going on in town. Um, And that is Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, a Republican from Iowa who represents the 2nd Congressional District. So, Congresswoman, it is a great joy to talk to you tonight. I'm sure you are very busy, so thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having me. So what are you, as a Republican, going to be listening for? What do you hope to hear tonight from President Biden's first address? Well, first, I would agree with you that uh, in in the pandemic, in the realm of COVID-19, it's a real honor uh, to be invited uh, uh, to listen to the presidential address in the chambers. Uh, it will be a, a much smaller uh, group of individuals, as you know. And so um, it's an honor to be invited. And, and I'm hoping to uh, hear uh, what President Biden has planned for the future. Um, I would uh, uh like to hear more about how he intends to work in a bipartisan fashion to get input from Republicans, um, and then how he intends to unite and bring the country forward. I think those are things that we're all interested in. Uh, we're interested in transparency and accountability in our government, uh, and how the uh, president intends to address that in his various priorities. And Congresswoman, you just raised the issue of bipartisanship, and this is something that some Republicans have accused Joe Biden of running, you know, as a a somebody who's going to reach across the aisle and then not acting like that during his first 100 days in office. From your perspective, has President Biden been reaching across the aisle? Has he been acting in a bipartisan way? Well, it's difficult for me to say, I think, if he's approached uh, you know, members of Congress and members of the Democrat Party, we haven't seen that filter down uh, to all the members of Congress. So we haven't seen that level of bipartisanship that uh, we would like to have. Um, certainly when you have bills, especially the large uh, spending bills that we're seeing, uh, and you don't go through the regular committee process, you don't invite uh, members of the uh, minority party 
uh, to the table uh, to have discussions or get viewpoints or uh, even include very simple amendments into the bills that are putting forward. Uh, it's very difficult for me to say that, uh, you know, bipartisanship is there. I was a state senator in Iowa, uh, and I worked very hard as a committee chair to incorporate uh, the bills and ideas uh, of the minority members and uh, actually brought uh, several of their ideas and bills into fruition that got signed into law in Iowa. Uh, and so I don't see that same overture being made uh, here um, uh, in Washington, D.C. Well, Congresswoman, I want to follow up with you on that because, uh, you know, this is a pretty significant moment in time. We've seen already the Biden administration uh, pass uh, a $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, arguably to address the urgent need of coronavirus, which, you know, okay, we got that. But then following shortly within the first 100 days, the American jobs plan, $2.5 trillion or just under, American family plan, $1.5 trillion. I mean, we start racking up these uh, uh, legislative initiatives in the significant trillions and, and, and really, really stern ways of paying for it. High marginal rates, higher capital gains rates, $80 billion for the IRS to go after people. I mean, do you, do you think that there's a bit of an overreach here? And, and what we're going to hear tonight is, hey, I'm going straight to the American public to pass all this stuff. But like he's, he's sending you a message, too, as a member of Congress, isn't he? Well, he did send us a message as uh, members of Congress. And to be fair, let me say that both parties uh, have, uh, you know, have passed legislation, have passed bills that have increased spending. Uh, And I certainly understand people that uh, say, well, you're in the minority party now, so you're only concerned about spending because you're in the minority party. But when you think about what you just listed, we're looking at six to seven trillion dollars in four months in office which is outstanding. Um, And I realize people think that inflation is not going to increase and that um, those taxes that are going to be levied in order to pay for some of this are not going to go down to hardworking American taxpayers. But we can be assured that hardworking American taxpayers will be paying the bill, uh, that workers' wages will be reduced, that there uh, will be uh, hundreds of thousands of jobs that may be eliminated, that this will have a huge impact on small businesses uh, as well as large businesses. Um, And so working class families are going to pay the brunt of this. Um, I uh, saw that growing up and I continue to see that now. My concern is during a pandemic, um, when you have small businesses and I've worked with those small businesses, I worked with them as a state senator, helping them to get uh, PPP, uh, trying to um, motivate people to, to go and visit them, order food, take out, Whatever we could do to make sure that these small businesses survive through the pandemic, uh, that uh, this is another hurdle that they have to face. So I think we have to be very concerned about this. Um, we've already seen inflation uptick, um, and you can see that in gas prices. Uh, in the very short time in office, uh, gas prices are up anywhere from 60 cents to almost a dollar in certain areas of the country. Um, we will see electricity prices go up as well. And then do these policies embolden people who have um, very poor environmental records and very poor records on labor, uh, labor such as uh, the Chinese Communist Party. So I'm very concerned about that. But at the same point in time, um, there are parts of the, uh, the COVID bill uh, that I did support, and that was um, uh, some extension of unemployment, uh, the stimulus check that went out, especially supported uh, getting vaccines out. And I will applaud um, Uh, President Biden on continuing on the great success of President Trump with the Operation Warp Speed, 
uh, that got us a vaccine in nine months to then increase that. And we were concerned at 100 million a day when uh, that was the goal because we were already at that goal. But President Biden ramped that up. And, uh, you know, to get the number of Americans vaccinated, I think, um, you know, both uh, both presidents uh, deserve credit for that. And I'd like to see that continue. And, and Congressman, I just want to uh, jump in. But like as a former physician, do you want to spend a minute just making sure people understand the importance of getting vaccinated? Um, I would just say you made my heart beat faster. So I would absolutely love to take a minute and to let people know that uh, COVID-19 is a serious disease, especially for those that are in the vulnerable group. But even in young people who do not um, get seriously ill, there are side effects and the side effects can be long term, such as a loss of sense of smell, sometimes taste and fatigue. So even in young people um, who are typically the ones that are asymptomatic, there can be long term side effects. So the side effects that you would get from COVID-19 are much, much worse than any side effects that you would get from the COVID-19 vaccine. And you also have your choice of three vaccines. Uh, There were no corners cut in developing these vaccines. They were done in a safe manner. They're effective, uh, far more effective. Yes, there's variants, but I think that those also are uh, are susceptible to the vaccine, meaning the vaccine also um, helps to protect against uh, any variants. But it's critically important, I think, for us to get back to normal, for us to stop wearing our masks, get together with our family, uh, whether it's you want to go to a concert or a restaurant or uh, go back to work. Uh, we need as many people to be vaccinated as possible. Very well said. And, and Congresswoman, on that point, have you been um, frustrated by the fact that President, former President Trump hasn't come out and pushed more for vaccinations more publicly? And I, I know you said you give him a lot of credit for where we are in the vaccinations, but do you wish he would say more to his supporters about this issue? Uh, well, I think that, uh, you know, uh, the current administration had a phenomenal opportunity um, at a press conference when Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked if former President Trump or President Trump had uh, deserved any credit for the vaccine. And was, uh, the answer was no. That was an opportunity for the administration to say yes. And we encourage President Trump to uh, to help promote the vaccine that he helped create in a uh, miraculously short period of time. So I would uh, certainly um, uh, would like President Trump to come forward. Um, I, I will, won't say recommend, but I, I think it certainly would uh, highlight uh, what a remarkable feat it was to get a vaccine in uh, nine short months. And this is uh, information, systems changing, regulatory processes that we need to, uh, to keep in our, uh, you know, in our banks so that we have them for future pandemics. But uh, sometimes there are regulations that we get rid of uh, during a pandemic that we find are regulations that we should, uh, uh, you know, not reinstate once the pandemic is over. And telehealth is one of those. Vaccine development is another. And Congresswoman, it is uh, such a pleasure to talk to you today on this very busy evening. I have to tell you, I'm incredibly jealous that you are going to be in the House today, um, but we will be watching you on television as you make your way in. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. And I wish you a very, very good State of the Union-esque evening. That's Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks. She's a Republican from Iowa representing the 2nd Congressional District. And Rick and I are going to be joining David Weston this evening at starting at 830. The president's expected to speak around 9 p.m. But you can hear us on Bloomberg Radio and also Bloomberg Television. I am Jeannie Shanzano and this is Bloomberg.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I am Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, and we are joined on the panel by Democratic strategist Matt Bennett, co-founder of The Third Way. And in just a few hours and one day shy of his 100th day in office, President Biden is going to go to the floor of the House to give his first address to a joint session of Congress. And I have to admit to you, Rick and Matt, this is one of my favorite days of the year, this and Constitution Day. Um, You know, most years, of course, it's called the State of the Union. But when the president's newly inaugurated, it's a joint address, presumably because the new president doesn't know enough about the State of the Union yet, although... It's hard to believe that when it comes to President Biden. He's spent his entire adult life immersed in Washington, D.C. and national politics. And of course, unlike most presidents, this State of the Union or State of the Union-esque address has been pushed back because of the pandemic in January 6th. So what we're expecting to hear tonight, amongst other things, his new massive American Families Plan coming in around $1.8 trillion. And today, speaking to ABC's Power House Politics podcast, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki explained how President Biden seeks to introduce his plan in a way that is accessible for those of us watching from home. We have sound on that. He wants to talk about it as the things we can do for you. How can we help you? How can we help you get back to work? How can we help your kids? How can we ensure there are industries of the future that your kids can work in and your communities can thrive around? And, um, you know, that's really his goal. So, Matt Bennett, how is he going to do this? How is he going to make this case to an American public for the third massive bill he's put forward? Well, uh, to your point, this is not a state of the union because he's he's new, uh, but he's done a lot uh, already. He's only been there since January 20th. And in that time, uh, he has delivered uh, massively on his promise in rolling out uh, the uh, pandemic response, including obviously the vaccines where 200 million vaccines have been um, administered so far, breaking all expectations. And he's also provided uh, emergency relief that everyone desperately needed. Now he needs to turn to what he called during the campaign, 
building back better, which is to say we don't want to go back to the economy that we had before the pandemic because too many people were struggling and being left behind. And as uh, Jen Psaki noted, there is a lot in his proposal, the American Families uh, Act, that would provide relief in very specific ways to people in ways that they will recognize instantly. Uh, That is both good policy and good politics. Matt, I get the impression, though, just from the little bit of buzz coming out of the White House related to this speech, that he's really not there to sell to the uh, 200 or so members of Congress that were lucky enough to score a uh, invite for tonight since uh, uh, COVID restrictions will be imposed uh, on Congress, but that he's going to go sort of over their heads right to the American people. And, and if there was a so the victory laps COVID, right? He's 200 million vaccines. That's that's impressive in the first 100 days. How's he going to sell a package that's going to be a little harder to explain when you get into the the various effects of all these massive spending programs that he has? I mean, like, it's so wide-ranging. I mean, the speech could go two hours. Is it your expectation that he's going to find a simple way to convey this message to the American people? Uh, it's my hope, Rick, that he's able to do that. But as you know, with a package this size, to your point, there's a risk that it can just be a list, you right. know, a laundry list. I'm going to do A and B and C, and by the time you get to Q, people have turned tuned out. So uh, my hope is that they've crafted a speech that will resonate broadly by allowing people to kind of get their arms around what he's providing in very specific ways. So I think what he'll do is concentrate on some very, very specific pieces of this. So how is he going to make education more affordable? You know, free pre-K for all three and four-year-olds. How is he going to free two years of community college? That's how he's going to make education more affordable. How is he going to provide economic security? He's going to provide more support for people who have kids in childcare. I think if he doesn't go too far and make it too much of a laundry list, it will be uh, a speech that people can really understand. But the risk with these kinds of speeches is everybody wants their piece in there. And so I'm hoping that uh, they were able to avoid that. And and Rick, as somebody, you've worked so much in politics and, and campaigns and, and, and White Houses. How difficult is it to make this speech to only a, this sort of COVID truncated audience that's going to be there? Well, it, Matt described it very well, and, and he's had White House experience as well as I have. And we've had to you know put our uh, requests in for speeches. Here's what I want the president to talk about. And it's a food fight in the White House over a speech like this. I mean, everyone's got their particular interests. You know, the political people want it done a certain way. The policy people want it done a certain way. The outreach folks want it done a certain way. The congressional people need certain language in there. And it is one of the hardest things to keep small. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see tonight, shortly after this, what they come up with. That's absolutely right. More with Rick Davis and Matt Bennett. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, and we are joined on the panel by Democratic strategist Matt Bennett, co-founder of Third Way. And one of the big questions as we head into Joe Biden's speech tonight is, will he reach across the aisle as he promised during his campaign? Earlier, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that President Biden will not criticize the Republican Party or any individual Republicans in his speech. 
And he is going to focus on bipartisan efforts. We have sound on that. He's going to try to lead and try to send a message to Republicans in Congress by uh, by laying out policies he thinks there should be agreement on, on to move forward on. But alas, and at least Mitch McConnell seems to be having none of it. Before President Biden's speech tonight, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said he does not think that Joe Biden has given any indication yet in his first 100 days of being reaching across the aisle, being bipartisan or moderate. We have sound on that. I'm hard pressed to think of anything at all that he's done so far that would indicate some degree of of, of moderation. So Rick and Matt, um, we're going into this speech, a lot of people hoping that Congress can get important things done. We've talked a little bit about the president's infrastructure plans, but we haven't talked a lot about his non-economic plans. And one of those I know, uh, Matt, is something that's close to your heart. You are the vice chair of the Sandy Hook Promise, and we've heard already that the president is going to be pushing Congress to pass at least two bills dealing with gun control. What would you like him to talk about tonight, and what would you like to see happen going forward? Well, the most urgent thing uh, in the uh, gun control or gun safety world is shoring up the holes in the background check system. Uh, I've been working on this issue, as Rick knows, for more than 20 years uh, back when the, the big problem was gun shows, those remain a huge problem where you can buy a gun at a gun show without going through a background check. But now there's the Internet. And uh, there are literally hundreds of thousands, uh, perhaps millions of guns for sale in the United States on the Internet by people who are offering them without a background check. So that we have an enormous problem and that needs to be fixed. And to your point about bipartisanship, there is a bipartisan solution to this problem. There has been for a very long time. John McCain uh, and Joe Lieberman crafted one 20 years ago. And then after the Sandy Hook tragedy, uh, Senators Tatumi, a conservative Republican, and Joe Manchin, a moderate Democrat, also crafted a solution to this problem that was deeply bipartisan. Both of those guys had A ratings from the NRA. None, none of this would have any impact on law-abiding gun owners. Uh, and there's broad support for it. The question is, will Republicans in Congress, beyond Pat Toomey and maybe a handful of others, uh, be willing to get on board? Um, we need 10 Republicans to pass anything in a, in a filibuster environment, and it's not clear that we can get that. Yeah, Matt, we've come a long way since the early days on Gun Show Loophole, where I worked with you and uh, a lot of really other brave politicians to uh, take on the yeah. NRA. And uh, and yet I think you're right. We had the votes then to pass it if uh, if we were able to get a vote on it. And uh, and it is a bipartisan issue. I think people over torque the notion that somehow this divides the House. There's a lot of politics in it. A lot of constituencies like the NRA who don't want to see these things happen. But um, I guess the question I have uh, in approaching tonight's speech and, and, and obviously an urgent demand for action in the community at large around these issues would Joe Biden be better off uh, taking an approach to guns on a more piecemeal basis? I mean, he's gotten pushback from one of our former allies, Joe Manchin, on this issue because I think there's a bit of an overreach now. And so can can he recover from that and actually get something done this year, which has plagued us all in the, in the last 20 years? I think he can. Uh, as we know, of course, 
the real action on guns beyond the, the few executive actions that Obama took and that Biden has taken, those really are around the edges of the problem. The real action is in Congress. And so it's going to be up to the Senate, to people like Schumer and, and Manchin and Toomey and Chris Murphy to try to craft a compromise. And they are hard at work trying to do that. And they are deeply mindful that they're going to need 10 Republicans if they're going to get something done. So I think uh, if they're able to come up with something in the Senate, it'll be uh, more limited, to your point, than, than what uh, perhaps the Biden team would like to see if they had their way. But uh, they also understand that getting something done, particularly on background checks, would make a huge difference. We haven't had a really significant change to the gun safety laws at the federal level since 1994. Uh, We're a little past due. And it's important for me to say here, Michael Bloomberg, owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, is a founder of and helps fund Every Town for Gun Safety, a nonprofit that advocates for gun violence prevention and other gun safety measures. So, Rick and Matt, um, I want to ask you a bit of a bit of trivia. You only can answer with one word. How many executive orders? This comes from Christine Barada, our great producer. How many executive orders has Joe Biden passed in his first 100 days well 99 days go rick 65 matt i'm going with uh, 32 32 you guys are both wrong no you're close it's 42 and Split we should say <laughs> that's yeah. right yeah he we should say that 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 is um he lags behind some of his predecessors in terms of the number of bills that's 11 that he has signed but he far outpaces them on executive orders um so it, <laughs> thank you to christine barada i love all these statistics because i'm a numbers geek and we are going to be joining david weston rick davis you and i tonight will be joining david weston We're going to have full coverage of President Biden's address tonight. That starts at 8.30 p.m. on Bloomberg television and radio. So, Rick, I hope you're ready for what could be a long night, but not too, too long. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. 
I am Jeannie Shanzano, along with Bloomberg's politics contributor, Rick Davis, and Democratic strategist, Matt Bennett, co-founder of Third Way. And as you know, Rick and Matt, it's a historic night tonight. We have, you know, a speech that has, in the modern era at least, coming a lot later than usual. Usually we see these about five five weeks in. Uh, This year, we're seeing Biden just shy of his 100th day in office. It's also going to be limited attendance due to COVID protocols. But most importantly, for the first time in U.S. history, two women will be seated behind the president of the United States during a joint session of Congress. It's about time. They are House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Kamala Harris. Speaker Pelosi told ABC News senior congressional correspondent Rachel Scott how proud she is that history is being made tonight. We have sound on that. It's so exciting to, have, to be up there with Kamala, Vice President of the United States. Not just a woman, African-American woman, Asian-American woman, a minority um, a woman there. So it is historic. So there we go. A a bit of history tonight. And I think that makes all Americans proud, regardless of party. So, Rick Davis, what are you going to be watching for tonight as the president speaks on his 99th day in office? Well, I'm pretty confident that Nancy Pelosi isn't going to rip up the speech in the course of him giving it. So, I mean, (laughs) we're going to miss some of those theatrics that were around during the uh, Donald Trump era. But uh, look, I mean, I I think it's Matt talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, he's had a very successful 100 days. Um, You know, COVID obviously is still the number one issue. And uh, and I think that how do you fit all the different initiatives in there without getting to a point where you're either talking too long, you know, over an hour or that uh, you've just done a list of things rather than actually making the case. People, I, I was benefited enough to be in the Ronald Reagan White House when he gave State of the Unions, and he talked about how things affected real people. He didn't really talk about legislation or budgets. He he made it practical. And so I think that that was sort of, I think, the model at the time. And it'll be interesting to see if Biden goes back to that. You know, Uncle Joe is known for that kind of an act, and we'll see if he has one tonight. <laughs> and it's going to be strange tonight, Rick and Matt, with, with no guests there. Um, I think we're all sort of used to, since Ronald Reagan, sort of the highlighting of, of Americans who are notable. And of course, we're not going to see much of that tonight. So Matt, what are you watching for tonight as, as you listen to this speech and watch this speech from the president? Well, the first thing is the thing you started with, which is this historic uh, tableau of two women sitting behind the president. And I I will be remembering a very gracious moment when then President George W. Bush uh, said it was his great honor uh, to begin his speech by saying, Madam Speaker, Uh, be the first president ever to say Madam Speaker in 2007. And, you know, that was a moment, I think, a very important moment for the country where you had a president graciously uh, acknowledging uh, his you know, opponents in the other party um, and noting that it's a big moment for the country. I hope that Republicans who are in attendance tonight uh, will have that kind of grace, and I expect that they will. Uh, in terms of what Biden will talk about, uh, one thing we haven't discussed yet, because there's so many other things, is the entire rest of the world. I mean, the president is the commander in chief. Um, he will have to talk a little bit about foreign policy and national security. I doubt it will take up much of the speech, but uh, there is just a lot to get to. 
Yeah, what do you think the chances are that he doesn't talk about China? Zero? <laughs> I mean, we're right. in a near-peer exactly. competition. It's different than the era we had during Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. And, uh, and, and I imagine he's going to send a message to China, too, tonight from the dais, don't you think, Matt? For sure. And actually, one of the uh, places where there has been tremendous bipartisan agreement in the Senate, at least, is around responding to China. There have been some really strange bedfellows getting together in the Senate, including Schumer and some very conservative Republicans, on legislation to uh, help the United States compete against China economically and to rein in China's ambitions um, geopolitically. And there is no doubt he has to talk about that. And of course, one of the things we expect the president to do tonight is to take something of a victory lap, as we've discussed, in terms of the the how how much he's been able to do in just 100 days on the pandemic and on COVID and on vaccinations. And of course, that's intimately tied to the state of the economy. And earlier today, we heard from Chairman Jerome Powell that the Federal Reserve has decided to take a more cautious approach. They announced that they will keep the ultra interest rate policy policies in place, and we have sound on that. The sectors of the economy most adversely affected by the pandemic remain weak, but have shown improvement. While the recovery has progressed more quickly than generally expected, it remains uneven and far from complete. So, so Rick Davis, I was listening to a couple economists earlier today who were saying they're not surprised that the Fed has taken no action, is not going to take action. In fact, one of them, I think, said, you know, it's going to be several months, if not longer, before they they will. Do you have any concerns about inflation? That seems to be something the at least uh, Chairman Powell has not expressed much concern about. Well, in fact, Chairman Powell has said, you know, it's now not time to be concerned about inflation. And then when it raises its ugly head, he will do what the Fed can do to control it. But what is more important is economic development, you know, and getting out of the current economic situation that COVID has put us in. And and it'll be interesting to see uh, on this case how much tonight uh, President Biden is able to match Wanting to have a victory lap on on COVID, like you talked about, 200 million vaccine vaccinations, all these kinds of things, money spent on the economy versus a more sober approach, which Chairman Powell has taken, which is, hey, we've got a lot more still to do. We are not anywhere near full employment and uh, and, and the economy is doing better in some sectors, but not overall. And so it's kind of a mixed message. Uh, I'm looking for the big announcement that you can take all your masks off inside the chamber because everyone's been vaccinated. Do you think he's going to do that tonight? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. And, and am I understanding he's going to walk in with a mask, but remove it when, when he speaks? I'm not sure if I got that right, but that's what I think I heard. Um, you, you know, Matt, as the co-founder of Third Way, one of the things that I've um, been surprised by is how many Democrats have said that they are pleasantly surprised, at least the progressives, by how left-leaning Joe Biden has been so far in his presidency. Have you been surprised by that at all? Um, or is this what you expected from Joe Biden? I can't say I did, having covered the election about a year ago or knowing him all those years ago. You know, I think one of the common misperceptions about uh, Biden is that he's somehow governing in ways that are different than the way he ran. I, I just don't think that's true. If you listen to him back in the spring, what he said was um, 
Look, I am a moderate in that I reject the notion that we should socialize large segments of the economy. I don't think we should have Medicare for all. I think we should keep the Affordable Care Act and our health care system in place. I don't think we should cancel all student debt. I don't think we should do a whole bunch of the things that Bernie Sanders was calling for and that folks on the far left have been calling for. However, he said we're going to need to go very big because, uh, you know, if I win this race, I'm going to inherit three enormous crises, the pandemic, the economic fallout from the pandemic and the racial justice crisis, along with climate change. So four crises. And all of that would require very large responses. So no one should think that a, a moderate Democrat has to act like Bill Clinton was acting when I worked in the White House 25 years ago. The world is completely different. Um, and we needed a big response. And I think what he's offering is what he promised. Yeah, I think, Matt, you're right. I mean, I, you, you, know, you got to listen to these politicians these days. They actually do the things that they're promising. I mean, people were in a state of shock when Trump actually implemented the things that he thought he that they that he was talking about on the campaign trail. People thought, oh, that's crazy. He'll never do that. Boom. He does it. Right. And and Joe Biden's the same thing. He said he was going to raise taxes on the wealthy. Well, that's exactly what the plan says. He said he was going to go big on coronavirus. He has done that. Uh, I, and I think it's a lot of it's definitional. When you're a candidate, you're out there talking about, and he did, uh, being bipartisan and being centrist, and yet here are my policies. You strip away all that kind of happy talk ideology stuff, and you actually get down to actually doing things in the White House, and that's when you get to find, and in this case, more left of center, in Trump's case, more right of center. And, uh, and, and yet, at the same time, some of it does get stripped away. I mean, Joe Biden continues to talk about being bipartisan without being bipartisan. And Mitch McConnell called him on it today. I suspect Tim Scott will say something about that tonight in his response to the speech of President Biden. And and it's so so I think there is a little reconciliation going on, but uh, I think he promised a leftward drift as a candidate and that's what he's given the country. Oh, okay, Rick Davis, really quick. How many tweets has Joe Biden sent out? Also, thanks to Christine Barada. How many tweets? Quick number. Five. Five. N- wrong. <laughs> wrong. Matt, do you have a number? <laughs> it's 589. I we was are, partially right. <laughs> you were partially right. I want to thank all my guests. Stay tuned for coverage of the president's joint address to Congress with David Weston on Bloomberg TV and radio starting tonight, 830 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.